0: Okay, great. So, welcome everyone. Welcome to the webinar. We are we have a special guest today, Elias Canares. Very, very awesome. I'm very excited to have a chat with him. Um, just to go, to give you guys a little bit more information about Elias. Elias is a thought leader in the area of resilience, leadership, and building trust. He works with CEOs and their teams, building high high performing teams navigating adversity, and introducing the TRUST as a business in uh, currency. So for those TRUST, trust. Very, very awesome. With over 25 years experience in corporate and not-to-profit organizations, Elias has used that experience to become an expert in helping leaders lead. He has developed a blueprint to empower organizations to navigate adversity to protect their brands, retain top talent, while growing their bottom line. Elias has spoken in 13 countries and four continents and is currently the CEO of the Insight and Strategy Group and has served as the president of the Global Speakers Federation. Not only that, he is—he also was the, the president of the National Speakers Association of New Zealand from 2015 to 2017. And not just that, he's also the founding partner of the Conscious Leading uh, Leadership Team. That's what a, what a biography, if I could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Great reputation. Oh. Elias, oh. so to, to start this, um, Mike, you, you and Mike have known each other for quite a long time. And uh, I actually found out this morning that you guys were born on the same date. Yeah, you, look, Mike is my...
1: Mike is my twin. He is absolutely my twin. Those who know me uh, and know Mike will see a a vast resemblance. Uh, And it's an honor to say that he is my twin. My brother for
0: another mother. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So um, there's a story that Lundy and Mike love to talk about. And they said, I have to ask you about this. It's the one that you wrote about in your book, Leading from the stop." So for those who haven't heard the story, can you please share it for us here? Yeah, look, uh,
1: it it started off as an ordinary Tuesday. Uh, I was at my parents' house in Wimbledon in South London, about to travel from London Heathrow to Chicago as part of an international speaking tour. And when I woke up that morning and I was uh, getting organized, I suddenly realized I had a wardrobe malfunction. And you say, oh, dear. Wardrobe malfunction doesn't sound too good. No, it wasn't. In fact, I found out that I'd lost my tie. Mm. (laughs) Now, you you might say, hold on, Elias, that doesn't sound like a real wardrobe malfunction. Well, back then, I was actually traveling on business class, so it was important to dress up and look for the part. So uh, as I kissed my mother goodbye, hugged my father as the taxi driver put my bags in the back of the car, All I could think about was making sure when I arrived at the airport that I went and bought a new tie. And also in my mind, I was thinking about a report that I had to write. So when I got to the lounge, I was there in the United Airlines lounge. I sat there thinking about how do I get and put this report in? I've got about an eight or 10 hour flight. Um, I can maybe write my report on the airplane. And then we got the boarding call. So I got on the plane, was halfway through the flight when they took away our uh, uh, lunch. And that's when the the captain, the pilot, came on. And he turned round and he said to us, ladies and gentlemen, can I first reassure you there's nothing wrong with the aeroplane? However, there's been a significant incident And in America, and the Federal Aviation Authority has shut down all the airspace. And we've been asked to divert to Newfoundland, Canada. Now, that day happened to be September the 1st, 2001.
0: Wow. That's that's insane.
1: Uh, Tell me about it. You know, we had no idea what was happening. We had no concept of what this issue was, uh, the significant event, and all we knew is that in about half an hour, we'll be landing in a place called Gander in Newfoundland, Canada. First of all, we didn't even know where Newfoundland, Canada was. Secondly, we had no idea what was happening in America. So the first thought that ran through my mind was maybe somebody had assassinated the US president. And that was followed by a second thought, which was possibly there was a nuclear attack on U.S. soil. So it wasn't until we actually landed one of 38 airplanes that uh, came down to Gander International Airport in about a three-hour period that the pilot explained some of the information behind what had happened in New York City, Washington, D.C., And eventually, he piped in the BBC World Service. And that was our sense of understanding. You have to realise, Chris, this was 2001. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have uh, Wi-Fi on the aeroplane. There wasn't social media. We had no idea what was happening. And we were in total and utter
0: isolation. Jeez, I can imagine eh? not knowing what's going on. Now, that's, that's rough.
1: It most really. certainly
0: was rough for us.
1: But here's the, here's the interesting situation. So we ended up spending 24 hours in the airplane. And you say, well, why did you spend 24 hours? Well, first of all, I didn't think we are going to be spending more than a couple of hours in the plane. I thought, and I was in denial, to be honest, I thought a couple of hours – A little layover, then they'll put us back in the air. We'll go to our destination. I still had a report to write. I had a conference to attend and speak at. It was crazy time for us all. But then there was another issue. You see, Gander, as a town, woke up that morning 9,300 for breakfast. By the time time 38 aeroplanes landed, they mushroomed out to have to feed 16,000 for supper. Nearly 6,000, almost 7,000 passengers descended onto that area. So they had to go and organize security, organize immigration, get everything sorted out to then take us off one plane at a time. And all we were allowed to take off on the airplane was our carry-on luggage. Whatever was in the hold, Stayed in the hole.
0: Wow, well, what an experience! I can imagine. Yeah. Okay, so um, on on that, um, leading from the stop is what that book is called. And um, wh- what would you say inspired you to write that book, Elias? Uh,
1: great question, Chris. Um, when we sat down here in New Zealand back in 2020 and COVID came and affected us as it did all around the world, we were given a mandate by our government that we had to go into lockdown and isolation. In, in New Zealand, in our uh, framework, it was what we called level four. So level four lockdown meant that literally We had to stop what we were doing. We couldn't go to work. We couldn't go to the shops. We had to sit here and just start again. There was absolute panic. I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know what others were thinking, but it was not a very pleasant situation. I saw people who were worried about where does my paycheck come from? Um, What can I do if I'm in business to continue serving my clients? How do I change and pivot what i do and so i sat there i thought to myself you know what everything has come to a stop it's affected us all but even as i sat there trying to figure out how i was going to continue how i was going to support other people i suddenly remembered that there were others who also had everything come to a stop and that was what we experienced in 9-11 In 9-11, everything stopped. The airline industry stopped. Uh, The tourism in New Zealand just evaporated overnight. The speaking industry that I was involved with, all the events, they were all canceled. Mm -hmm. Now, afterwards, we started again. We realized that after the stop, there's gonna be a start. So leading from the stop became an idea a concept about what can we do to then start leading from the stop so when everything just crashes to a halt, how do we restart? And that's the concept behind the book. It was birthed out of the necessity to think about what are we going to do now we're in lockdown and to give hope to people that we can
0: make it through. Awesome. For those that don't know, just want to say again, it's Leading from the Stocks, what the book is called. If you look just behind Elias, you'll see the book cover there. <laughs> it's amazing. Mike and Lundy recommends, he recommends everyone to read it. It's a great read, great motivation, and great insight. So on, on that, Elias, you're talking about COVID and 9-11. Um, how would you apply that, that insight on what's happening today?
1: Look, that's a great uh, concept to just look at. When you go back to what happened to us, first of all, we were stuck in the airplane for 24 hours. And then afterwards, when they had uh, arranged all the immigration, uh, they had arranged all the security, they allowed us to go off. Now, you have to understand, we were a plane load, a, a 777 that had 198 passengers. Now, when you're in that environment, you've got to ask yourself, What happens with all the uh, food? What happens with all the the drink, the water? Soon we started to run out of that. So the first thing we did is we were grateful for the fact that people put out some food. It might have been KFC, Subway. In fact, the KFC was cold, but it just meant that we could be there in a situation of being grateful just for being fed. What we didn't realize is that they were going to then put us onto a bus and bus us some 40 minutes to a smaller location in a place called Gambo, where we stayed with the Salvation Army. That became our home for a further four days. Now, here's the interesting situation. When you look at this, the first thing that I'm going to encourage people to do is to apply a lesson that we learned. And that lesson is look after yourself. First, it's so important that you go and ask for help. Because when we were in that situation, if it wasn't for the nice people in Newfoundland at the Salvation Army, in Gander, when we arrived at the airport, who were looking after us, who were willing to say, Hey, you, you don't know what's going on, you haven't seen what we've seen. But when you think about this, let's go back and look at a principle that we all know of. Those of us who used to travel a lot internationally used to get on the airplane and we used to have that that safety video. And that safety briefing in the video would say to people, when the auction mask comes down, what do we do? Here's a question for you, Chris. What do you do with the auction mask when it falls down? Who do you put it on first?
0: Yeah, normally you would
1: look after yourself, put it on on yourself. Absolutely. That same principle applies today as it did for us back then. We have to look after ourselves first. It's okay to ask for help. And I think that's one of the first things that we've got to all understand is that as we look at this new situation where COVID has come along, where something has caused us to stop, is to make sure that we Are looking after ourselves first if you're a leader whether you're leading a multinational or leading your family look after yourself first make sure that you can ask for help now today we know a lot more about the issues of isolation we know a lot more about what happens when somebody is locked up in their home where they become a prisoner in the you know 32 square meters or whatever it might be of the room that they're stuck in, you've got to understand that people have got to have a an ability to go out and reach for some sort of mental health um, advocate, somebody who can help us to understand how do we cope with the craziness of uh, of being locked up. So that's one of the first lessons that we learned, and that's but I would say apply that today with all the craziness that COVID has, uh, has driven into our lives.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Ellis, speaking about leadership, um, you are known, very well known for speaking on leadership and, of course, building a lot of trust. Uh, were there any examples of those that you saw uh, while you were in Newfoundland and Canada? Yeah, look, uh, I, l-
1: let's talk about first trust, and I'm talking about leadership. If I go back to trust, um, let me go back and and explain what I observed from Captain Mike Ballard and the crew on United UA 929, our flight. Now, I said at the beginning of the story that we're halfway through the flight. And to be honest, I I don't know if it was the panic look I saw on the crew after they had cleared out uh, our lunch, or a sound that I heard, which later I found out was the sound of them dumping fuel that alerted me to a problem but what oh. captain ballard did is he said the following he said ladies and gentlemen and i first reassure you there's nothing wrong with the airplane however there's been a significant incident in the usa and as a result we've had to divert because they have closed down all the airspace now when you look at what captain mike ballard did he was building trust with us. He was turning around and saying, first of all, you're safe. There's nothing wrong with the aeroplane. We heard that other planes that, that were diverted, the pilot said to the um to the passengers that there was a problem with the plane. And of course, that starts to create a panic in amongst the passengers. So when it comes to building trust, Captain Mike really created a, a simple framework. And the framework is a th- Three-point framework. He said three things to us. Number one, you're not in trouble. Number two, we believe in you, and number three, we're here to help. Now think about this framework. This is a framework that I've used with my son uh, when I've had to to uh, challenge him about how he's overusing his his cell phone. When he was at high school. It's a framework that we can introduce to many organizations and to within the workforce. Three things. Number one, you're not in trouble. Number two, we believe in you. And number three, we're here to help. It's important that people understand if you're leading them, because leadership is all about uh, influence, nothing more, nothing less. So when you look at this, you've got to create a, a framework for people to build trust. And TRUST, the acronym T-R-U-S-T, stands for transparency. And Captain Mike was very transparent about what was happening. He said there was an incident, going to have to divert. The R is the ring of steel. And Captain Mike had his crew that was his ring of steel. They were there every day visiting us, telling us what was happening, how we were uh, progressing, we didn't know when we were going to be able to leave, but he gave us up-to-date information. The U in trust is understanding risk. And they understood risk because they turned around and they dumped fuel out of the airplane, fuel that could potentially have been used as a weapon if there was a hijacker on that particular plane. But then they created safety for us. By making sure that everybody, once we were down on the ground, we could go through, we could check all the passengers, make sure that if there was a risk and they did background checks on all of us, we would identify that. And finally, the last T is the tracking systems, because they put tracking systems in place to make sure they knew exactly where every passenger was, because we ended up spending additional four days Five in total when we added the uh, day on the airplane. So that's how we learned about trust out of an example of Captain Mike and his crew.
0: Wow, that's very interesting, very insightful. So, so on that then, um, Elias, the leadership part, what examples could you say did you, did you see or experience on that side?
1: Um, so when we eventually came through to the Salvation Army, uh, as I mentioned, we, we ended up spending four days in the Salvation Army. We arrived there on buses, school buses, uh, and it's about a 40-minute journey. So we had no idea where we were going to end up. When we saw the Salvation Army, literally, there was a lady there. Her name was um, Therese. We called her Mother Therese. And she was greeting every single person as they came through the door. She was saying, welcome. Welcome, welcome to each and every single one of the 198 passengers that came through the doors of the Salvation Army. In fact, one of my uh, fellow colleagues, uh, Bob Smith, who's now um, retired, living in, in Perth in Western Australia, on that plane he he wrote straight afterwards. This was the uh, this was the uh, memory that he had. He wrote it uh, when we left, and in that he said. I was wondering, what does this woman mean when she turns around and she says welcome? And after a while, he realized all she meant was literally that welcome, feel welcome, come and feel welcome. So the first thing in terms of leadership is how do you interact with people? Do you make sure that people feel welcome when they come to meet you? The the second thing that we we realized, and and again, Mother Teresa was very good at this, is that um, she applied a a principle that I call walking slowly through the crowd. So let's talk about walking slowly through the crowd. What was she doing every day? She was going around making sure everybody was okay. They'd organized food for us. They organized beds, even stretchers that the uh, Salvation Army, the Canadian Army, uh, and the Red Cross brought in that we could sleep on. And she made sure that people were all okay but by walking slowly through the crowd she could pick up on things she would interact with people she found out that there was a couple as an example whose son the australian couple whose son had had a a surfing accident in indonesia and he had an infection in his leg as a result of that accident that could have been life threatening so they had to figure out how could they medically evacuate their son from indonesia back to australia even though they were in the other side of the world. So Mother Teresa recognized that they needed help. So she said, okay, come and use my office. Come and use my personal cell phone. Do whatever you need to do in the privacy of my room. That's leadership. That's the ability to understand that there are others out there that are hurting. Because when you have a crisis, as we've just experienced with COVID, there's people in our community who are lost, who are broken, who are in pain. What are we doing to look out for others? Because that's the second thing that we learned in terms of leadership. Look out for others. Build and expand your community. So what are we doing on a daily basis that helps others who are going through problems today?
0: Wow. Wow. What a story. Really, really awesome. Elias, I must say, you're intriguing me. <laughs> and with that amazing background, I just need to, to brag about that. It's um, really awesome. I mean, all the keywords, resilience, culture, values, lead. That's, that's great. Um, then, um, Elias, what have you done to reinvent yourself as a speaker? As you said, you had to start re- all over again. And um, what tips can you give to our learners that are or listeners, sorry, that are, that are still building up or recovering from our episode with COVID?
1: Uh, at the risk of using a cliche, I'm going to turn around and say uh, everybody when 9/11, sorry, when COVID hits, <clears throat> had to pivot. So so let's let's take some examples. If you were in retail, and you can open your shops. What can you do? Well, you had to go online. You had to think of an alternative method of how I can deliver my uh, 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 my products to you in a way that you can get them quickly. So people turned around and they said, "Let's turn some of our stores into what's called dark stores." So a dark store is a retail shop that becomes almost like a warehouse, a distribution center. So we turn around and we think differently. Now, let me go back again and explain how this applied when we were in, um, uh, in, in 9-11 in, in, uh, at the Salvation Army. So at the Salvation Army, I, I was sat there on my first full day at the Salvation Army. This was almost 30 hours after uh, we had uh, landed, and uh, I, I eventually came through and realized I'm not really going to go home quickly. So I still wanted to run my report, and then by midnight – I was anyone one left awake. And I sat there trying to write my report. The only person that was with me in the hall that previously we had our dinner in and our lunch was a congregant, a lady probably in her mid-60s, a, a grandmother, a local lady. And she came up to me, and as I was trying to write my report, she said to me things like, um, so, um, are you married Uh, do you have any kids? And I was thinking, don't interrupt me. Now, here's the interesting situation. I was so focused on the production that I forgot about the relationships. So when it came to suddenly realizing that, hey, maybe my report isn't all that important, maybe I should just stop and talk with this lady. So I shut my laptop down after about 15 minutes of talking to her and just spend the next hour chatting away. What that made me realize, Chris, is that when an event like this happens, you've got to change the rules. Whatever you did before is not going to be the same as it is now. So when it came to me, how did I change and what did I do to reinvent myself? Well, the first thing is I decided to write a book. So writing a book consumed some of my time, and it's a book that I've been thinking about and researching for 20 years. So it became relatively easy to put it down and figure it all out. I had to change and shift what I was doing. I had to learn new techniques, new new technologies. Zoom became my enemy and my friend as I had to sit here and understand how do I deliver and create an interactive environment. I also had to look at this and say to myself, what does my clientele need? And what do I have to become to serve my clients? So literally, you know, as you're you're in there and you say to yourself, okay, everything's stopped, no more conferences, but is that the truth? Well, the answer is no, not really. There are conferences, they're online. You have to change your method of delivery to accommodate that. But if you are, uh, you know, maybe you have some more time on your hand because you're not traveling as much, what can you do that will help you to produce material, marketing material that can help promote you? So again, you're gonna look at this and ask yourself, do you do things like create new show reels? If you're a speaker, it makes sense for you to update your marketing material. And I had to think about different ways of how I can engage with my audience. And my audience became CEOs. I've always been working with them. And I had to look at new channels. Who do I partner with? How can I get my name out there to a wider audience. So all of this is part of that reinvention of yourself as you work your way through. Now I'm gonna challenge one thing. Maybe, maybe Chris, it's okay for us to say, hold on, let me stop. Let me make sure that I'm looking after myself. If the income isn't coming in, let me see how I can reduce my expenses how I can change my lifestyle. And you have to then give yourself permission to say that maybe for a while, I won't deliver as I was. Maybe I have to look for another part-time job. And some of us did. We worked through and we found ways to create new income. Now it's not glamorous, but sometimes you have to feed your own family. So I'm going to encourage anybody who's looking at this to say, Hey, Do you have to be proud or are you willing to work to make things change and are you willing to invest in yourself to update your profile?
0: Sure. Well, so much insight there, I have to say. Um, Is there any of the listeners that have a question on that topic? I think that is quite a a broad topic that someone can ask any questions on. Oh, here's, here's one from Stephanie. Elias, did you ever think about your tie during the 9-11 experience? (laughs) (laughs) I did. Well,
1: Stephanie, that's a great question to ask. Uh, So when when I arrived at uh, Heathrow Airport, the very first thing I did was to go and find uh, an organization called the Tie Rack and find and buy myself a tie. (laughs) So, uh, So, I mean, the Tie Rack. Today, it shows you how old the story is. Today, they're no longer in business. So I put my tie on. And I held it on properly. I got onto the aeroplane, and I was so proud. Now, you'll be laughing at me, Stephanie, when I tell you that literally we were diverted to Gander Airport. I still had my tie on. I was sitting at the bulkhead uh, at the front of business class, uh, seat 7K. Next to me was my colleague who'd uh, joined the aeroplane from a trip from India. And he sat next to me, and we did the the, the usual... um, business class greeting. I looked at him. He looked at me. I said, um, "Mm," and he went, "Mm -mm," and that was it. That was our, our, our literal greeting. Now, 24 hours, we were in the airplane. 24 hours, I still had my tie on because I was in denial. I said to you, I thought that I was going to be going very quickly across From Gander in an hour or two back on the air to Chicago. But that wasn't going to be the case. So for 24 hours, I kept the tie on. For a further six hours, when I arrived at the Salvation Army, I still had my tie on, thinking maybe they'll put us on another bus, take us back. So when it comes to the tie, I eventually took it off after 30 hours. But (laughs) the irony, I put it into my jacket pocket, but today I don't have the same tie anymore.
0: Very disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been uh, quite a memory uh, to keep on to. Um, On on that question that Steph asked as well, um, are there any of the plain people that you still are in touch with? Yeah, you know, we have a community that uh,
1: we we, uh, got to, to know each other. So uh, we have a um, a group on uh, Facebook and we have a group called UA929. So it's all the passengers who are still around from that day are in contact. Obviously, the most frequent time that we speak with each other is on the anniversary of 9-11. Uh, but I also have friends like uh, Bob Smith. So Bob Smith was an Englishman who was traveling from uh England to the states to be with his wife who's an american and bob and i kept in contact uh, um uh, almost ever since and now bob and his wife live in perth in western australia and we're regular uh communicators on facebook there's other people in the uk who've come over to new zealand who visited with me and we've enjoyed uh, our time to uh, have some fellowship together and they created a musical that that talks about this experience. And the musical is called, Come From Away. And literally, if you have the opportunity, if you, or you're on iTunes um, or Apple TV rather, you can, you can probably watch it across there. Or if it's come to your city, go and see the musical because it's literally a true representation of what happened. And they say in the musical that we came as strangers. We became friends and then we left as family. And that to me is the power of the community because it's about people who are saying, hey, look, I'm going to open up my home to you because literally 197 people in the Salvation Army, we didn't have showers there. So we had to go to people's homes and turn around and say, how do we can uh, have even just a, a simple thing as a shower? So people became so friendly for us that these friendships blossomed into family. And that's wow. something I want to encourage people to, to consider
0: uh, as we drive that forward. Wow, uh, that's, that's very interesting, Elias. Um, and it's amazing how people can flock together when um, there's something astronomical happening. You know, we really connect which is quite amazing for me, our or species. Um, there's a question from Felipe um, about this year. There was pretty much nothing regarding 9-11. Would you know anything about this, Elias, why? Uh, I think
1: that uh, last year we had uh, a lot of influence around 9-11, which was the 20th anniversary. Uh, and that became a big, big focus. Uh, 20 years, that's quite a milestone for things to happen. I think that we will continue to see things happening. I think this year we went through a very, very difficult time with COVID. So COVID came along, Philippa, and it it literally caused us all to stop, caused us to go into hibernation. It caused us to stop uh, community with each other. Now, I think that this year, what's happened here in New Zealand, is probably similar in many other countries, is that people were given uh, a bit more freedom So they're given freedom to travel, they're given freedom to stop wearing masks, they're given freedom to um, communicate with each other and to have community. So I think what's happened in this year is that people have ended up using this opportunity to travel uh, and be more upbeat, more happy. Uh, Think of the positives as opposed to focus on some of the negative aspects of 9-11. So I think that's one of the main reasons why. Having said that, I think next year you're still going to get uh, uh, questions raised. Uh, I get invited to different um, interviews. And um, certainly if you have uh, uh, an anniversary coming up, somebody somewhere is going to be talking about 9-11. The question is, can we make it a better experience for everybody?
0: Yeah, very, very true, Elias. Here's another one. On Felipe's question, what is the significance of annual celebration of the past incidents? Stephanie asks.
1: Uh, I don't think that we're necessarily celebrating the past incident because... What we're actually celebrating when we come and think about 9-11, us plain people, the people who are on United UA 929, is the humanity that we saw. So the humanity was the people in, in Gander and in Gambo who dropped everything they were doing to look after us. They had lives to lead. They had jobs to do. But all of a sudden, they said, how do we step out of what we're doing to come along and help you? So if you think about 9-11, 9-11 was a dreadful situation. We had the worst possible disaster that was uh, unfolding in our eyes. We saw the planes crashing into buildings. We saw different reports. We we, we listened to the CNN where they were playing back the bad side, where, where you know people left voice messages for their families. It was harrowing for me thinking to myself, what if that was me? What if I was leaving a, a last message for my loved ones? But then we saw humanity. We saw the better side of life. I think that's what we want to celebrate. That's what come from Away, the musical. That's what leading from the Stop, the book, is all about. It's about just realigning our vision. We can spend our time thinking about the negative, or we can reinvent our time, focus on what we saw. And if there is hope for every single one of us around the world today, is the hope that you can experience that people are kind, that people actually care about others, that despite what we're seeing on Facebook, we can celebrate that people care. And that was the second thing that we realized, It was to build and expand your community. Look after others. I have a a couple of friends here in New Zealand who during lockdown would make sure that, uh, for example, Bill would phone up a group of people once a week. He had maybe about 20 or 30 people on his list. I was one of them. So once a week, Bill would call me up and say, hey, Elias, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. Now you have to understand, Bill supports Manchester United. I support Arsenal. We have nothing in common. But still, we were able to have a laugh. We were able to just say, Are you okay? Is things going well? Another friend of mine, um, Roland, was working with his wife to cook meals. And we created a program in our church, which was called Here to Help, where every week, we would go to people who are um, disadvantaged in some fashion and we would deliver meals to their homes. So is there humanity in society? I like to think that there is. Can we be the face of humanity? Absolutely. These are just some examples of what we can do and how we can change. And if you can apply other examples or even maybe type them in, I'd love to hear from you to hear what you've experienced that shows you that we're not celebrating the negative, but actually celebrating the positive going
0: forward. Awesome! What a what a great message and inspirational, I must say. Awesome, Elias. Um, on on that note as well, what what is your plans for Elias for two thousand and twenty three? What's happening next year? Wow,
1: uh, two thousand and twenty three is an exciting year for me. A um, couple things that have started to happen is I've just uh, um, been engaged mm-hmm. by uh, a group called the Executive Connection, where I'll be coming and getting peer groups for like-minded CEOs and helping them to grow and thrive in the difficult situation. So that's one of my uh, uh, big goals is that I want to positively impact a million households around the world. And so mm-hmm. far, we've reached about 89,000 households. Uh, through the presentations I've delivered, the training I've given, uh, books I've authored. But now I want to go to influencers. So I want to go to the CEOs to influence them so they can influence their employees, they can influence their community and their families, influence their uh, suppliers and their customers. And then also in 2023, I spent the last year building up my profile to go back out in the speaking circuit. So I'm now starting to target opportunities of speaking to large audiences, especially in the USA. And my objective is to secure uh, about a dozen, maybe 15 um, opportunities to speak to large audiences there, where again, if we can impact audiences of 10,000 at a time, that we can impact 10,000 households to make a difference in this world.
0: Wow, Elias, you're leaving a great footprint. And um, I think it's just gonna be successful, Elias. Thank you very much. Um, and I just wanna say thank you, Elias. Is If there's anything else you'd like to share? Look, it's my pleasure to have been
1: on here, Chris. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I hope that uh, all, all the people listening into this recording or here live on the call, get something of value. And if we just do one thing that's changed, that'll be fantastic. One thing,
0: I'm happy. Oh, wow. Thanks, Elias, and thank you for your time. We'll be watching your space. And for everyone that doesn't know, um, Elias, can I just get your your, your um, website address, please? Or do you just mind putting yeah. it in the comments?
1: Look, everyone. probably the easiest thing to do,
0: um,
1: and, Why don't you uh, write this in there? Tell people to go to leadingfromthestop.com. So leadingfromthestop.com, that's the one. If people go there, they can uh, find out more about the book. Uh, They can link into me. uh, Elias Canaris is my main website. Uh, But if they go across there and just connect in with me, always happy to... Uh, Speak to people. There's a way to connect with me one-on-one through the website. So have a look at that. And um, if anybody wants anything further, just shout out. I'm always
0: here. and happy to help. Awesome. Thank you, Elias. And thank you for having the time. We'll hopefully chat to you again soon. Good luck on your future references. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Have a great day uh, and a successful week ahead.